today's guest is quite fascinating. We have Sifu Harinder Singh, who is a 23rd generation Tai Chi master, has mastered Filipino martial arts, is a fitness wellness coach, is just an overall positive, just an incredible human being. And um, it's an honor to have him as our guest today. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Well, uh, nice to uh, finally see you face to face, Harinder. This is one of these talks for me that's going to be really cool. And you definitely have a great background. Oh, pleasure to meet you, John. And uh, glad to be here with you and your listeners. So how have you been kind of dealing with everything kind of going on, obviously, with the pandemic and obviously people's mental health? It's, it's kind of, it must be kind of crazy um, for you, especially if you're a teacher with gyms closing or dealing with students that might actually have some issues that you kind of have to work through. Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting time, you know, um, <clears throat> but the way I look at it is chaos there's two ways to look at chaos. You can look at chaos as a challenge or you can look at chaos as a threat. Chaos is always on the brink of creativity. You know, if you think of anything that was amazing that was created, it happened in times of chaos and chaos drives creation. So I always like to say chaos is a canvas for creativity. We just have to um, let go of our attachments. You know, oftentimes what ends up happening is that we're, we get afraid, which is very natural for a lot of the people right now. They're filled with fear because of the uncertainty, right? So uncertainty, you don't know what's going to happen. You may not know what's going on with your business. Um, other people are uncertain. So it kind of shakes your world up a little bit. And if you're not used to chaos and you're not used to making yourself comfortable in uncomfortable situations, which is a skill, which I think is the master key to all success, because uh, as my as my teacher says, he says, because you need when you think about it, you know, people talk about chaos and peace, right? And they right. look at it as a duality, but the the truth of the matter is that there's no difference between chaos and peace, because chaos is always happening. Right, it's the way of nature. It's it's chaos is is natural. It's it's always happening, and peace is. It's kind of like, okay, if I'll take a martial arts analogy, somebody throws a jab at you and you roll with the punch. That's you how you're acting in the chaos. Are you rolling with the punches? Are you freezing? Are you running? Are you submitting? You know, are you going through all those kinds of responses? Um, the fight, flight, freeze, submit response. What, what's happening to you in discomfort? And so when uncomfortable situations rise from my training and from everything that I understand uh, about how things work, it's, it's quite natural because our problem really, what I think this pandemic has exposed is, is not chaos really, but it's our love affair with comfort. We're way too comfortable. We live in this Netflix and chill society. Everything is quite easy for us. You know what I mean? I, I'm not trying right. to make light of anything, but when things happen that are uncomfortable, it's, it's hard for people who haven't um, been people who don't put themselves in uncomfortable situations to evolve and grow and adapt because that's what's needed right now. So to answer your question, like you have to pivot, right? And you have right. to pivot and there's an, op- where there's chaos, there's an opportunity. And so you've got to, uh, you got to pivot in that opportunity and find, find a new path. One of the things I've kind of noticed, especially through friends or people I work with on the road, uh, that a lot of people are going to get down on themselves and they aren't, like you said, they aren't used to this type of chaos is going around them. But the people I've seen that have been really positive and successful are the ones that are staying creative and kind of navigating through this craziness. And then as this breaks open, I'm going to be so happy for those people that are able to kind of visualize, visualize that, Hey, I can succeed during a pandemic. Let's see what I can do outside this pandemic. And that, for me, that's very fascinating, that type of thinking. Yes, it's absolutely wonderful. You know, it's a, a growth-minded approach versus a, a, you know, a challenge response versus a threat response, you know, because you're, you're, you know, one of the other things my teacher always taught me was he said, you have to look to explore. You want to be an explorer. So if you're exploring, then you're not bound by what's happening. You're looking around it to see what's, what's, what's the opportunity here. So when you're looking to explore, you're going to then you, what's the next thing you're going to discover because you're looking to explore. Right. Then if you're going to discover, you're going to learn something. And when you learn something, then now you're going to grow. 
Right. And when you've grown, now you can create. Because the thing is, you've got to change before you can create something, right? It's like right. It's that creation doesn't happen, you know, the other way. You change when you change and evolve as you create yourself, so inside, so outside, you get to create solutions or businesses or ideas and things start to happen, but they are a derivative of you changing. Is is it is it healthy for one to be afraid or kind of fearful of the unknown? Or is that something where you just have to keep kind of keep going what you're doing and just as the fear comes, kind of just push through it? Or could you kind of be like, man, I like being I like the feeling of being nervous and afraid because it makes me hold myself accountable to kind of be better. So is that something that's I think that's a great question. And what it is, is that, as you know, is fear is a um, fear is my friend. Fear is my evolutionary advantage. So if I embrace fear as my brother, he'll support and walk with me forever. So what I mean by that is that how everybody feels fear. Every single person on this planet feels fear, whether it's a fear of um, your Navy SEAL cracking down the door, a police officer or you're a protection uh, a specialist and you're protecting somebody or you're uh, you're going into a mixed martial arts cage where those are real kind of fears that are you have bodily harm involved right so there's right. that fear or a tiger jumping on you a shark catching you know something like that um but the thing is the fear that gets most of us and every single person that's plagued by it is the fear of losing the fear of what other people think the fear of not being good enough the fear of being accepted, you see? And, and that's, those are the debilitating fears that are, they're not real, but they pr- produce real responses in your physiology and in your psychology. And we have to understand these fears. So let's think about it. What's the number one fear in the world? It's public speaking. Right. It's public speaking because people are afraid of what everybody else is going to think about you, what you said, right? And so I think that at the end of the day, it's uh, you have to know fear and understand it. And it's a switch for you to focus. It's a fuel. It's energy. Fear is an energy. So if you fight it, it'll deplete you. If you fight it, it'll make you submit. If you fight it, you might get angry. If you fight it, you might uh, want to escape and run and not face it. But when, as soon as you understand, okay, I'm getting nervous. So something of the value is on the line. Let me refocus. Let me let go of my attachment to the result. Because that's what ends up happening. We start getting stressed and anxious because we attach ourselves to the result that hasn't happened yet. And then the next thing we do is, or we go back into the past and start reviewing similar situations and how we performed then. And now that worry from before comes into the present moment and it takes you away. So now you're outnumbered because your mind is either in the future or it's in the past and you can't be here so how quickly can you let go of your attachment to victor or defeat? How quickly can you let go of the stories from the past and be right here right now and focus on what's happening so that you can adapt, change, evolve, and create? And um, so, you know, I think fear is a very good thing. It's how quickly can you recognize it? And then how quickly can you transform that energy and direct it into what's happening and one of the main things is to let go of your attachments to the past and the future. That's awesome. Growing up, were you always what, – what was the kind of the catalyst that got you into thinking the way you do? And obviously with the martial arts training, was there an event or an issue, something that happened where you're kind of like, I need, to, I need to fight this fear the best way I can? So fear was like a real thing for me growing up, you know, I think, uh, and many times throughout my life, just like many people. Uh, give you a few instances. You know, one of the things was when I was when I was younger, I wanted to be a tennis player. I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Wow. And at the same time, I was in karate, right? And because I had this attachment to wanting to be a professional tennis player, that I, I, I you know, I was like, oh, if I get to Wimbledon and I win Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, then I'll, I'll be great. I had attached myself to this future thing. So then I'm 13, 14 years old, and that weight of that is going into every match I'm playing. And before I even start the match, it's over. Right. Because I'm afraid that my dreams aren't going to come through from like playing Joe across the street from me <laughs> in this match, right? And so, and then I would look at I would look at the the rankings, right? And the guy, if he was ranked ahead of me, I couldn't beat him in a tournament. 
the fear would just debilitate me. Like I'd have to go take two shits. <laughs> the fear would just debilitate me. And but in practice, I was amazing. So if you know that was happening there. Now on the martial arts side, I didn't have that attachment. So I could go to the tournaments and win without trying. If it was effortless for me. So because I wasn't attached to a result, it didn't matter to me because the tennis mattered to me so much. Right. right? But growing up, I saw that. Also, when I was 13 years old, I lost my hair to alopecia areata, and I started to cover my, my, my head. I wore wigs in high school, you know, the whole deal. And so then the fear of what other people thought plagued my mind 24-7. Like, oh, what's that person saying? What's that person looking at me? You know, that whole thing because and, and that need for approval because I was afraid that I wouldn't be accepted because I felt ugly inside and shame inside and all this. But, it was, you know, it, it, it was all happening in my mind. And then finally, when I was uh, in college, I was jumped. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that was the final catalyst where um, we, were, we were celebrating at a bonfire graduation from college, right? Your guard is down. You pack yep. a few beers and literally out of, out of the darkness come, come some local gangsters. It was their, their turf. We didn't know it. And um, lo and behold, I found myself in a situation that uh, I had no idea what to do. I did nothing heroic. I, I ran around and people were hitting me and I didn't hit, I maybe hit one guy, but I was running around, looking more like a rugby match than anything else, getting beaten. My buddy was getting beaten. And what ended up happening was two interesting things was number one, in that moment, and, and many people have experienced this that have had life and death situations, is that time goes, it just slows down. And you're like, wow, I'm, this is the matrix. I just didn't know what to do. Right. <laughs> I could see everything coming. And the other crazy part was that it was really peaceful. This chaos was so peaceful. It was like a wonderful feeling in it, in the moment. Right. As I'm running around, you know, and people are chasing me and they're taking my roommate. And they were fighting in formation. So it's the first thing, you know, you have street fights here and there one-on-one, -on -one, whatever. But this is fighting people in formations and stuff like that who had nothing to lose and uh, then you know divine intervention um, the two guys they were looking for walked by so they forgot about us and we escaped and uh, from that day on i was like man that's not happening to me again. so on one side i'm so angry so angry so frustrated and filled with shame just filled with it. I'm like oh i thought i was the badass right grew right. up in karate winning national tournaments all this kind of stuff i'm the guy who's supposed to protect my roommate i couldn't do it so there's all that happening. And at the same time, I'd experienced this moment that was like, what? This still point, this quiet in the chaos and the storm that was so fascinating. These athletes call it the zone, but I was there and I felt, I felt the center of time and space. So I had these two things. From there, I said, okay, I, I got a great job. As my, my background, once upon a time, I was a computer and electrical engineer in the Silicon Valley <laughs> many, many lifetimes ago. Uh, and it, during the dot-com boom, I got a great job. I got paid a lot of money. So that meant that I could, on the weekends, pay any master, teacher, whatever I wanted, go and study with them, and so then started this, this journey. And so the two places I thought to myself was, I was like, all right, let me find the baddest dudes on the planet, uh, the Navy SEALs. I'm like, all right, who teaches them? And let me go to that guy for hand-to-hand -hand combat. So that started my path down into Jeet Kune Do and Filipino Kali. Uh, my sensei had given me the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and Goren No Show, the Book of Five Rings, when I was 13. But I didn't understand any of that stuff at that time, right? So it was we were reading it and stuff. I didn't get it. So then I go down this path. And at the same time, now, the people are going to laugh, right? I can definitely laugh about it now. You, you get filled with so much anger and so much rage that you want to take it out on people. So you start thinking of, okay, you know, next time I'm going to figure out a way to kill somebody by just touching them. It's like, there's got to be, I'm gonna, let me look into this death touch thing. I want to know pressing people and turning them off. I know. Like George Dillman. Like, well, not like George Dillman, but, uh, but, but you, know, you know what I'm talking about, the legend right. stuff that you hear. So I get all these books that I can get, and they're all about Chinese medicine, acupuncture, meridians. You know, it's all about that. And I'm like, all right, well, nobody's going to teach it to me. If I go ask somebody, they're going to become crazy. And if anybody does teach it to me, it's probably not real. 
So I said, let me, I'm an engineer. I'm a reverse engineer this. So let me, let me register for a medical Qigong course, a four year course, doctorate course. And I will, I will re-engineer this. I'll trick the teacher and the master and I'll re-engineer this. So as I started to get into that, uh, things started to shift because I started to heal myself because then I got into Tai Chi and, uh, you know, I wanted to kill somebody in my, in my, in, cause I was filled with anger and rage. Like I want to know how to press somebody and turn them off. And in my book, uh, it's coming out next year. There's a chapter that says from the death touch to the healing hand. And I realized, I realized that as I began to heal myself, uh, I began, I started to, uh, forgive my attackers because had they had not attacked me, I wouldn't figure out how to uh, not only heal the issues I was dealing with there, but also all the issues I had in my head, everything else that I was not aware of, and, and start to understand about healing and helping people through helping myself. And I started to understand that. Then I got into the Taoist philosophy and the Tai Chi philosophy, which is so encumbering, and even in, from the martial arts perspective and the health and healing perspective, the time and perception perspective. But all of that, we have to let go of our attachments, let go of our angers, our issues, our rejections, our abandonments, our betrayals, and understand that every one of those things and those attackers were blessings from the divine because they shifted my path. Because up until that point, all I cared about, all I cared about was making money and driving fancy cars, right. stock options. That's all that was driving my driving me because I thought that's what success meant. You know, it was all materialistic. And then I started the journey into the universe. And at the same time, I'm studying over here the Jeet Kune Do, the Kali, the Wing Chun, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, the boxing. And I start just go full on into it. And, and both sides start to get developed. And as both sides get developed, I'm like, oh, look at this. What Bruce Lee's talking about here, Musashi's talking about here, it's right here. Oh, this is how it all kind of works together. And, and that martial arts then becomes this vehicle for self-discovery and how to honestly express yourself and be of service to the world. As a 23-year generational Tai Chi master, is there a sense of protection on your part to kind of preserve everything you've been taught? And then as you get older and that kind of moves on, is there ever a sense of kind of, hey, this, that, don't mess this up. Like this is saving lives and this is helping people. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's with any teacher that even a father or the words you speak, even if you're not a teacher, there's a lot of power behind what you say and how you act. And so the responsibility and being accountable is very important. And so that you can act with honor and integrity always has to lead the way, right? That is the word. Right. That's the code. And there's a reason that's the code. And with the, with the lineage, I have a lineage chart that I can t trace back over 2000 years. So it's teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student. And there, there are not many, each teacher doesn't pass it on to like, uh, this isn't one of those uh, hundreds of students thing. This is like three or four generations. And so I've, I was really blessed for it. And I earned it. I earned it. I paid, I, I paid the price, not the monetary price, but I paid the price in time, right? the price in training. And I paid the price in pain, the pain from the physical training, but more importantly, the pain in the emotional training. Because the thing that oftentimes, you know, in philosophical texts and stuff that everybody talks about is whether you look at from Marcus Aurelius to Sun Tzu to um, Musashi, they're always talking about this concept of, of dying to the previous version of yourself. And we're in this constant process and it's very painful. You have to let go of your ideas, your friends. You have to let go of who you think you are. You have to let go of like what your parents taught you. Right. And to let go, to expand further, to absorb new things. And, um, and it is a wonderful thing, but you got to pay the price. And, and yes, I do take it as a very serious responsibility to see that if I'm on a stage where I could influence people, um, then then I have to be very careful with what I say. But at the same time, see how can I inspire people to find their own talents? You know, that there's as I'm sure you know, there's oftentimes happens is like 
the student teacher relationship is like this. See that the teacher is like a tour guide, right? I'm a tour guide. I'm here to point you to your best self. It has nothing to do with me. And I think that's, that's always the thing. My teacher always used to say, and I adopt the same thing. Like, what do you do? Somebody asked me, I said, well, I use all of my resources to help you get you in touch with all of your resources so you could be of service to the world. Because most important thing is when we realize it's not about us. It was never about us. And that's, that's the biggest realization that I've had that's helped me let go of limitations and then, and then just go and, and, and do the best I can to, to offer as many blessings and, and help people so that they can help others. One of the kind of growing up, you're always kind of like, when I did sports, I'm like, oh, I'm never going to do yoga. Like, that's stupid. Or if you're like, I'm going to do a martial art, but Tai Chi, like, I've always thought, man, you either have to be really, I think I'm not smart enough for that. I don't understand. I don't understand the mind. Or you're like, it's probably someone, it's like the yoga of martial arts. But as you kind of research and you get older, you're kind of like, you're, you're, if your mind's not as strong as your body, I don't know if you're going to be successful. And I find it very interesting how Tai Chi, there's just something so pure and honest about it. And it's very, it's very, it's just very intriguing. Oh, it's a very astute observation. You know, there's, there's a difference between Tai Chi and Tai Chi Chuan. It's two different, there's two different things, number one. So first of all, as a, as a health and healing system, it's, it's quite profound because you want to slow down the aging process. The proof is in the pudding. There's even Harvard Medical School, uh, if you go look, they have a journal that's all dedicated to Tai Chi and the research that they've done with regards to aging and mental clarity and uh, bone structure and the health of the vitality of the entire body. So the re- listeners can go check that out. So it's Harvard Medical Review. Did a, and then type in Tai Chi and you'll get this whole awesome. book that they did on their research. And plus, you know, it's been around for thousands of years. So it's much more than a health system. It's much more than a fighting system. It's, it's called the grand ultimate. So Tai Chi Chuan means the grand ultimate fits. And what, what the, and, and, and now, so from, if we talk about it from a martial arts perspective, Okay, and then I say into life. Right. So if we look at it, you know, in the YouTube videos and stuff like that, you always see, you know, some MMA guy in China beating up the Tai Chi guy, and you see. Okay, so that's what I see. Where I'm just like, what? It's it's all over the place, right? And so here's here's what it is. You already need to know how to fight before you do Tai Chi. (laughs) I'm gonna be dead honest. You already need to know how to fight. It's an advanced art. You can't go to your MBA school or to get a PhD without your without getting undergrad or going to high school. If you've never been punched in the face, then you have no business doing Tai Chi as a martial art. Okay, as a health and healing system, sure, everybody can go do that. As a Qigong system, energy system, meditation system, for sure. Now, here's the advantage that people don't see. And you were talking about the mind, right? It's about time and space. So beyond martial arts, beyond techniques and tactics, and, and you know this in your in personal protection, it's your awareness is your weapon. Right. So we always say weaponize your awareness. Your awareness is your greatest weapon. Uh, the person that is least experienced is the one that something happens, then they react. Someone a little bit better, something happens, now they choose a response. But it's still later. Right. Then there's somebody else who's a little bit better, and they can react when it's happening or respond when it's happening. But the masterful person, the person who is experienced, is going to see it come before it happens, and he's going to intercept the situation. So I teach Jeet Do, Bruce Lee's Jeet Do, and it's interception, right? Jeet, the way of the intercepting fist. Well, the whole concept is how do you intercept somebody? And everybody thinks that you have to intercept them. Oh, yeah, I have to, I have to be physically faster than the person to intercept them. Well, that's incorrect, and that's a gamble because what if you're older and what if that person's faster? What if they have a longer reach? There's so many things that come into it. But the next thing is that the re- interception, what precedes interception is perception. And there's three kinds of perception. There's an intuitive perception where you just know, right? You, you have a feeling. And you're like, I'm not going to go there. 
Let's turn this way. There's a feeling. There's an intuitive perception. Then there's an em empathetic perception where you can feel the emotions of the other person. Like you can see the vibe when it's getting kind of dangerous. You can kind of feel it. And then there's a kinesthetic perception. That's a perception that you can feel. Like physically, you can feel what's happening. So I'll give everybody a great, great uh, analogy that I think everybody will probably experience. You ever have that feeling when you're driving in a car, okay, and all of a sudden you move and you avoid the car that's about to hit you, but you moved before you saw it. And then you looked over in the next moment and you're like, oh, I should move, but you already moved. And then the moment after you realize, whoa, what just happened? Like you moved without seeing the car was ready, right. you moved. And then the next moment you realize what you should do. And then the, the moment after that, you look back at the whole thing and like, whoa, what happened? It's almost like a mystical thing. No, it's not a mystical thing. It's that we've lost touch with perception. When you're in the jungle, those people who hunt and those people who are uh, protection people or people who are in the military, they have an extra perception because they are in tune with danger. Right. We live in a society that's out of tune with danger, so we've lost our ability to connect to something that already exists within us, deep within us. And what has to, there is a method to cultivate that so that you can consciously do it and not just unconsciously react. So if that can happen unconsciously, how can we bring that into a conscious awareness so that we can operate from this heightened state of perception the high performance zone, I call it. So it's like the flow state, people want to call it. But but I'm talking about not accidentally getting in there. Because I can't be like, oh, play a basketball game and I hope I get into the flow state. No, if things are life and death, I better get into it on command. Right. More importantly, can I bring that state when I'm talking to my wife, to my kids, to people on the street? Can I operate in that state? That's what I want to get to. And that's what you really start to learn. So you start to learn about the quiet. We, this is going on too much. So we have to shut this off so that we can become quiet and expand our awareness. Right. When we expand our awareness, we can watch, we can listen, we can observe, we become the observer. So the more closer we get to operating from the observer versus the thinker, the analyzer, we're gonna operate from greater perception. When you're operating from greater perception and less thought and analysis or pattern behaviors, your perception of time is going to change. It's a shutter speed thing. So if there's one moment where for that guy, that, that moment forever is, is, is over, for somebody else, that same moment is much slower. It's the same earth second. You could say one second. One second for somebody who has greater perception, he can perceive it slower. Because he has, his brain is processing it faster. Right. Whereas the other person is rushing through it. They're anxious, they're stressed, they're blocked. And it, time feels like it's going so fast instead of slow. So on a, on a simple perspective that way, you know, I was always like, wait, why am I going to do Tai Chi? You know, I, I just want to learn how to kick people's asses. Right. But, and my seafood would be like, dude, that's limited to the physical realm. I'm like, okay. He's like, what happens when you fight somebody bigger, stronger, faster than you? Younger than you? Multiple opponents. What are you going to do then? I'm like, oh. He's like, you have to be able to perceive and see between the space of what's happening. Operate in a different realm of time and space. Now you're playing checkers versus chess. Right. As opposed to, you know, going that way. Now, the caveat always is for the people listening. You still got to know how to fight. Right. You still have had to have been in, 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 been in the grind. You got to be able to take punches, roll with punches. You, you have to be able to uh, know what to do under stress. Then the next piece that happens is that what we want to do is we want to find the stillness and the chaos and make that a weapon. Right. And that's what, what it teaches on a much higher level. So then now even outside of protection or outside of martial arts or outside of military or sporting events or big meetings, I work a lot with Silicon Valley executives, high performance uh, entrepreneurs, like, but my big business is consulting. 
And, and it's the same thing. I don't, it doesn't matter what your craft is, whether you're a salesman or you're a professional athlete or you're a security specialist or you're a Navy SEAL or Secret Service or um, an entrepreneur. What's going on in here and your perception and your ability to perceive time and space and your ability to not react. Maybe we get emotional and we react. How do we override that? And there's a thing, it's not necessary to react. How do we not get emotional? Because the moment you get emotional, awareness goes down. So how do we detach from the situation? How do we pull ourselves out of the situation regardless of what's happening? Right. View it without emotion. Create a plan and execute it in chaos and do it all like that as a natural uh, reaction or response. That's the art. How do you, is there a, like a ranking system, like a belt or tiered alley? How do you kind of move up in like the Tai Chi realm? Is it just time on time into the training? There's, there's not a belt system per se. There's training you do. And then after you do training, then you become a disciple. If you, if you've chosen, you become a disciple and pass that. Then after that, then the real teachings begin because then you qualified for the teachings. So it takes, took me about six years. And then after you become a disciple, then you become a Sifu. And then more, so the teachings are hidden. And then you get access to more teachings. And so it took me about 10 years to do that. And then, then the, you start again. Right. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's quite a fascinating journey. But it's, uh, as the teacher says, you know, you got to eat the bitter taste of sweetness. Right. So that's, that's, that's the thing. As, a, as an instructor or teacher or coach, is it tough for you to sometimes have a student in front of you who's not willing to help themselves? Is it, how do you kind of help someone that doesn't want to help themselves? Or is that one of those things where you're like, hey, man, like, I, why are you here? Like, you can't. Okay. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. I think that's, that's one, one trap that a lot of teachers fall into. They want to fix people. I'm a teacher. I'm not here to fix you. Right. There's a big difference. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to fix you. Because if you're not ready to learn, uh, what, I, I'm not a salesman. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to, to, to fix you. And that's the problem that ends up happening. Then you get a student that is not ready to do the work, is not ready to, for the information. And then you take on the karmic responsibility of that person because you're teaching them when they're not ready. So whatever they're going to do is on you. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying that says, he who thinks he knows but knows not is a fool, shun him. So you know the guy who's like, you're talking to him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. Yeah, I got you, got you. I got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't even finished. And you're like, okay, I guess you got it. Cool, bud. Then there's another guy who is, he who does not know but wants to know. He's a student, teach him. He's like, hey, man, I have no idea. I would love to learn. I want to know. I'll do whatever it takes. Please. There's that guy. So he's a student. Teach him. His cup is empty. The other guy's cup was flowing over before you even walked. You know, doing walking. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen right. so many times. And same thing with clients. If my client is going to be that, the interview is over. Because I'm not going to sell you on what I do. Because this is not selling and I'm not here to fix you either. I'm definitely not here to motivate you. I don't believe one human can motivate another human. Interesting. It's impossible. Because then if I motivate you, you rely on me. No, no, yeah. Right? You rely on me. That's why there's like a million motivational books. Because it doesn't work. You have to be self-motivated. If it doesn't mean anything to you and you're not willing to change... You think reading a book or going to like an event or listening to some guy is going to make a change? You don't have the self-worth enough to change. It's not a value to you to change. It's not going to happen. Right. You're just going to have an excuse. And then you know what's going to end up happening? Because you were unwilling to change, unwilling to do the work. Then you're going to come back and you're going to be like, man, that guy's stuff doesn't work. And they throw all this money at these crazy i mean i love tony robbins i think he's very inspirational but you, i know some people that have gone a bunch of times they're like well maybe it'll work this time well what's not what's not working you're the one who doesn't want to take what he's saying or you don't want to make yourself better it's very it's just weird how people throw money away just to try to make the 
get the the appearance of oh I'm I'm spending a thousand dollars for this weekend class I'm gonna feel great well yeah. come Monday morning you you're still the same person yeah it's it's spiritual materialism that's what ends up happening you're like oh I I learned this so you could go tell your friends what you learned but you didn't actually change right and so what what happens is that see. Now, Tony Robbins, I think is amazing. He's motivated lots of people to right. do lots of things. And there are certain people that are going to come into his space who don't need him for motivation, but then will take his information and act on it. That's different. That's totally different. They're going to act on it because it's of value to them, and then they're going to put in the work. But what happens oftentimes is there's this thing, the difference between shifts and transformations. Okay, so for example, man, anybody who's a professional – should have a morning routine. If you don't wake up and don't have a morning routine, I mean, what are we even talking about? Like, if you're not meditating or even sitting doing box breathing or something, and if you're not doing those two simple things, if you're not working out, if you're not staying in good shape, if you're not even doing those things, I mean, what conversation are we going to have about high performance? You definitely shouldn't be out there right. with people. If you can't make your bed, you want me to make your life? It's, it's crazy when you think about right? it. It's crazy. Now, here's the thing. Just so say, okay, you, you, you establish a morning routine. You wake up, you, do, you, you, you wake up, you drink some water, you break a sweat, you do a little meditation, you do a little journaling, right? You, you have this process going, which is very important. You do some meditation. Now, throughout the day, you go throughout the day. Now, the day goes up and down, day goes up and down, and then you, you come back, and the next day, you do it again. So the, the morning routine shifts your state. So you go from point A to point B of yourself, of version 2.0. Then you go out throughout the day, and then you come back the next day, and then you do it again. But you didn't transform. Right. right. You didn't change. You shifted. So here, I'm here. I shifted my perspective from here to here. But I didn't actually change. We didn't change the person experiencing the shift. Shifts are important. But shifts don't lead to transformations. Shifts are like brushing your teeth every day. You gotta, every day you got to brush your teeth. But your teeth don't become different by brushing your teeth. They're just not dirty. So what I'm trying to say is that transformation, there's a whole different process. And for transformation, the I, the old you must die. Your patterns, what we call the acquired personality of who you think you are, everything you learn from everywhere else that's put you in a box of how you make your decisions, how you think, how you see the world. All of that has to be shattered. So then you can see more and you can see more. Then you have to, what, to do that, you have to start letting go. You got to let go of the hurt, the abandonment, the rejection. You have to let go of the anger, the judgment, the complaining, the criticizing, condemning. You got to let go of all that shit because it's all all to, to, to hold on to all that takes energy. It's about energy, really. Right. At the end of the day, it's about energy. So sometimes I, I had a meeting with a client and he's like, you know, I just don't have enough time. And I was like, well, that's the problem. You, what do you mean you don't have enough time? I'm so busy. I got this acquisition going on here. I got this acquisition going on here. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so your business is growing? It's like, yeah, yeah, business is growing and all that kind of stuff. Unless you're putting more output out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like we still have the same amount of time, right? He's like, yeah. So what's the cost? Oh. What's the cost? So now you're doing more in the same amount of time. What's the price you're paying in your relationships, in your health? And now your time is also limited. At some point, you're not going to be able to exceed the amount of time that you have. So you will max out. So time is not money. Energy is money. Energy is money. The more energy I have, the more I can do with less effort. Right. That's what. That's the equation we have to get. I mean, the martial arts 101. Efficiency. But what ends up happening is that so somebody does meditation, and, and, and oftentimes, why does meditation not work for a lot of people? And I'll tell you the reason spider comes out of my head. Why meditation doesn't work for a lot of people is, first of all, it takes 15 minutes just to quiet the maniac in your head. Fascinating. It takes 15 minutes just to quiet him. And I'm not talking about building energy. 
So energy, and what's what do we by energy? I mean your life force energy. You can call it chi, you can call it prana, you can call it bioelectricity, whatever you want to call it. But there's an energy that we need, right? You guys have low energy or high energy. Everybody understands what I'm saying. You don't have to get esoteric. It's energy. What's your energy? When you go to bed at night, are you an energy surplus or are you an energy drain? That's the first question I ask you. So at night, if you go, so in the morning, you do your morning routine, you up your energy, then you use your energy throughout the day dealing with people. You go up and down with people throughout the day. So situations, circumstances happen, stress, anxiety happens. You complain, you criticize, condemn. Energy is just spewing out everywhere. So now whatever you built at, in the morning, at the end of the day, what's your surplus? Are you at surplus or are you at negative? Almost always, everybody's at running low on negative. So they go to bed on negative. So the next day they come back lower than they were the day before. So then they do the exact same thing and go through it. So guess what's happening? Every single day you're slowly but surely moving closer and closer to your death and you're going to die with less energy anyways. Right. So, so what ends up happening is what do we do? What we have to look at it is like this. So somebody, my teacher gives, gives this meditation and then he gave this meditation to a student and the student went and did it for 20 years. And the student saw him again after 20 years and said, hey, you know, Sifu, Sifu, I did the meditation you told me. It was awesome. I did 15 minutes a day for 20 years, and I didn't miss a day. And the teacher looks at him and says, I feel sorry for you. You didn't listen to what I said. So 15 minutes is just to keep you where you are. Right. So for 15, for 20 years, you didn't even move forward. <laughs> you did move back, which is better than moving back. Most people are sliding back. Right. Right? But the thing is, so 15 minutes is just enough to quiet this. Because 15 minutes is that's why I call it mind boxing. This is not like kumbaya. This is you're going to war with this this guy in the head who's a maniac who doesn't want to shut up. So we got to shut that maniac up, the man, maniac in your maniac in your mind, the monkey in the mind that's just telling you all the time, yapping, 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 and never shuts up. 15 minutes, we need just to, like, beat him down. Then after that, the next 15 minutes is where you build energy. So that's, that's one piece. Right. The second piece is, throughout, throughout your day, how many times do you react? Every time you react... Every time you get emotional, you're using energy. Right. If something happens with your wife, something happens with a client, and you get emotional, you just discharge the energy. That's why we say it's not necessary to react. That's why you have to be the observer. You have to be detached. Right. Not only from a performance perspective, but from an energy gain and drain perspective. And last but not least, we have to take a look and all the things that we have not let go of and processed and healed from the past. All the anger, the stuff, and people are like, oh, I dealt with it. No, you're just indifferent now because you, you have a legendary denial system. Right. Right? So, but it's stuffed in there. And to be stuffed in there, it requires a charge. It needs energy. It's like a, everything that you haven't processed, you're holding a, a ball, like a, a floaty ball under the water. So that's draining energy. So what has to happen is you start to, and this is why people quit and they can't transform because it's painful because everything you're holding on to, to let it go, is, you're going to have to feel the same pain. You have to go back and visit the same situation. And that's why they quit. Like, oh, I'm going to go over here to this other teacher. I'm going to read another book over here. I'm going to go find another New York Times bestseller. And what happens is with all the knowledge that's out there, and trust me, I have thousands of books, thousands, but they all are leading to the same thing is here's this strategy here. There's, there's that strategy here. Let's do a shift here. Let's do a shift here. Let's use this tactic here and let's use that tactic here. But they're not fundamentally changing the person deploying the tactic. Right. So you still come back to the same spot. You get a result. But you come back to the same spot. So I think what ends up happening oftentimes is that that's why it's missing. And this is all, by the way, I'm talking to you, it's all Tai Chi philosophy. Right. And then I used to teach, I used to ask my teacher, I'm like, what does this have to do with fighting, right? I'm like, come on, man, what is this? I don't want to learn this stuff. What does it have to do? It's very painful. I don't want to deal with it. And he was like, cool, pretty much. He's like, you don't understand that if you want your, 
And then he would like, oh, you know that matrix moment you felt? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my eyes would go, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. He's like, that requires energy. I'm like, oh. So if you haven't processed all these emotions, that's draining energy. And next, when you get in a fight, who do you think fighting? Is it you or your emotions that are coming up? Fight, you got to as uh, you keep mentioning your teacher, I find it very fascinating. You yourself are still a student. And so that must help you help your students in a kind of a weird kind of uh, almost like those old Russian babushka dolls where you're kind of always just kind yeah. of. Yeah. There's the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. It's fascinating. Right. It's fascinating. And, and to people out there, if you have a teacher that's not learning, a teacher who's arrived, who's a master, well, that person stopped moving. Right. And what happens to a river once it stops moving? Dries out. So that's something that you constantly look at. You'll know if your teacher is doing the work and growing, your teacher should be different every year. The teacher should be different because there is no end in this journey. Right. The beauty of the journey is not in the start or the end destination. It's in the journey. That's why it's so wonderful. And that's why, you know, you can't, you know, there's titles, of course, the master, you mastered a certain thing, but there, I don't really believe in that. That's just old school way of saying something respectful to somebody. Right. I believe there's a masterful process, but there's no such thing as a master. But you can accomplish something and be happy, which is great, but don't kind of settle for that happiness because you could be happier. Is that kind of? So it's, it's like, uh, you know, there's that, there's that saying, there's, there's a diagram. I think it was Plato that came up with it. I could be wrong or Socrates. Um, he goes, he, he makes a dot in, this, in a circle and he says, this is what you know. And he makes a circle around it and he goes, that's what you know that you don't know. Huh. And then he makes a circle, a giant circle around that, like giant, like the size of the universe, he says. That's what you don't even know that you don't know. Wow. So I was like, that's, and, and the, I study with my teachers um, six hours to eight hours a week. Incredible. It's just so much. There is no limit to the inner verse. Everybody, and, and you know, back to what you were asking about, and to listeners listening, if I was to tell you one thing that I've discovered is, and it's true from the writings of the greatest martial artists, warriors, business people across the board, they've said the same thing. Do not look outside of yourself. Like the kingdom of heaven is within. Right? Guru. The, what guru means is the light within you shines out. That's why you can't have a guru. You can't have a guru because the point is that there's guru literally means from darkness to light. That's the light inside of you is shining out. So when you're looking for approval, you're looking for acceptance, you're looking for skills outside of yourself to make you happy, you never will be. You never will perform. You can learn from people who help you go inside so that you can discover what is your gift. That's the whole reason why we're here. And this is the whole reason why many people can't be happy or they can't perform to the highest abilities because they're looking outside of themselves for the answers. Now, that doesn't mean you don't go and learn, but go to learn to direct you inside so that you can learn to honestly express yourself and discover what are your true gifts? What are you, right. why are we here? You know, it's an existential. Yeah, why, why, right. But why are we here? But really it's like, more importantly, what are you here to do? Right? right? And only inside you know that you got to go in. And every great scripture, every great sage has always said exactly the same thing. And so in this world, if you look at it, I mean, 
um, I've been writing my, my, you know, I've written many books and articles on martial arts and stuff. I have a book coming out on martial arts. It's called Enter the Dow from Black Belt Magazine and Black Belt Publications by the end of this year. Awesome. And then uh, I wrote Mind Boxing four years ago, uh, How to Win the War Within. And um, it's a, you know, a high performance philosophy, uh, self-realization kind of book. And, uh, but it's, I haven't put it out because I had to go deeper. Four years ago, Jack Canfield read it, and he's the one who wrote the Chicken Soup. Chicken Soup, book. right? And uh, great, great man, wonderful person, and he wrote the forward to the book. But I wasn't ready. I gave it to people uh, who were the training officers at the Secret Service. They wrote it, uh, read it, gave me great letters, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't ready yet. And the reason it wasn't ready was because I wasn't ready yet. You know what I'm saying? And so right. we try to create. I had to go deeper and deeper and deeper to understand. And then now I can tell you, honestly, I was like, okay, because that book, when I was first writing it, it was about me. I mean, candidly, and I'll be honest, it was about me. It was like, hey, I want to remember, I want a best-selling book because I want right. money and I want to support my family and uh, I want speaking gigs and I want engagements. But if you notice in every single thing there, it was like, I want this. I, right. When the I died... And I got the spiritual slap across my face one day in meditation. It was like, it's not about you, fool. And, like, oh. and then the question changed to how many books am I going to sell to how many people am I going to serve? Right. And then I was like, okay, so now I know when it's going to be right. And, and that's the same thing in life. And now it, it, I, I don't want the listener to get to the point where it is about survival. So you have to learn to survive first before you can learn to thrive. If I can't take care of myself, if I can't take care of my family, I can't take care or help anybody else. Love yourself as you love thy neighbors. It means you love yourself first. It means you gotta put your oxygen mask on first. You gotta make sure your family's taken care of first. But the reason why, and you know, when I work with like these big time successful executives and stuff like that, and the, I'm like, well, what do you want? Why do you want to be successful? And oh, I want to get this and I want to get that. And oh, but it always comes down to they want acceptance because there's a hole. They want security. That's their pride and ego talking. And they want control because they're afraid. And so those are the things that are there. And I'm like, no matter how, how much money you acquire, how many buildings you, you buy, whatever titles are in front of your name are going to give you that. It's always going to keep you away from the truth that's inside. And every single one of us, we have one mission. That's to work on ourselves so we can get to the point that we can help other people. It's that simple. Right. You gotta work on yourself first. You know what I'm saying? And and that's that's the priceless gift that we could give to people. That's but it doesn't come without first handling your own business. So if somebody says to me, you know, I mean, I I wanna uh, uh, run a successful company and I try to do that and be successful quick. Why do you want to be successful quick? Well, the sooner I can own my time and space and my family's taken care of, then I have more time to help people. That's why people should get successful quick. That's right. why you should make a lot of money. Money's not bad. It's energy. It's great. Be successful, but, but know that what's driving you to be successful quick is so you could handle your survival needs and your family needs so then you could do what you came here to do. Right. How did you kind of go into the Filipino martial arts? It seems like a very aggressive, very kind of 180 from kind of like the Tai Chi mental kind of that type of. And then you look at some of like the Escriba and you're just kind of like, wow. Like for me, I'm looking at you. I'm like, I, I can picture you doing both sides is how you kind of operate in the between that where it's very fascinating. Well, when I, when I went the street fighting route, right on the other side so i'm going the tai chi qigong death touch route here and at the exact same time i'm going the street fighting route here right and as i started to get into jikundo and started learning from a lot of the different students that bruce lee had the first and second generation students and became their you know like i just fully dive into it all together and one of the jikundo philosophies is that we have to be able to be adaptable so if you look at most street fights that don't involve like a firearm, 
there's going to be some other kind of weapon involved. Right. Most probably a blunt weapon. Right. Knife, bottle, right? bottle, yeah. bottle, blunt weapon, knife, fire iron, you know, you name it. It's anything they could pick up, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is that most fights are not one-on-one. So if I'm, in, if I'm not in a one-on-one situation and if I can't escape, then I need an equalizer. So a knife a baton, a stick, anything I can pick up in my hand becomes an equalizer to help even the odds, especially in a mass attack situation. So those are the practical needs. And um, and the Filipino martial arts is a, is a, you know, as you start to learn Jeet Kune Do, you start to see the, the, the familiarities between the two, the concepts of the interception, of adapting, of and then there's a transfer technology. So as you get to learn the weapon, what happens is the weapon teaches you geometry. Everything is geometry. Like I'm back to my engineering nerdness. Yep. Everything is geometry. Everything is lines of attack. Everything is comes down to seeing the grid. And once you understand how I, if I can make an X with a stick, I can make an X with a knife. If I make a circle with a stick, I can make a circle with a knife. And you should say, oh, it's transfer. If I, like if, I, if I thrust with a knife, I can thrust with a jab. You start to see that the, the, the weapon is just an extension of the body. The next thing also that ends up happening is when you start to use a weapon, your body mechanics change. Because when you swing your stick, you have to swing with your whole body. Not You know how sometimes people throw arm punches or something. Now you, you have to learn to move with your whole body. The next thing is the weapons produce superior attributes. When somebody's swinging a stick over 100 miles an hour at your face, He's going to learn to res- a jab is in slow motion. So your attributes change. So attributes are things like timing, uh, speed, spatial relationship, um, reflexes, sensitivity. A sensitivity with the, the knife, for example, when you're in close, you have to touch on the hand and track the hand because you can't look with your eyes. Because when you get really in close in court, court, close quarter, you have to physically touch your opponent and feel where they're going to go. Because if you, you rely on your eyes, it's too slow. Right. So you develop sensitivity. Uh, awareness, like we talked about, is another attribute. Um, strength, speed, stamina, those are the normal ones we talk about. But really, your perception of time and space changes when your body starts to act and react to the angles of a stick or a knife, and specifically when it's not fed to you uh, as one, two, three, four, right? It's random. And your brain starts to pick up. It starts to process our information way faster. So really what that does then, it gives you the perception that time is slowing down. And that's what we're doing, the capacity of the brain to process faster. That's what we want to do. And the Taiji also does that in the same way. So now you're having one is by yourself, becoming quiet by yourself. And then what happens is that, so that's stillness and stillness. So if I'm just doing standing meditation, stillness and stillness. Then if I'm doing moving super slow, it's stillness and there's movement. My eyes are open. Then there's stillness in movement with a partner who's kind of feeding you different things. And you still have to maintain the stillness while executing your strategy. And then you progressively get to the point where you can maintain stillness in chaos, in randomness, where you don't know it's coming, but you can still maintain it. So you have to... First go from stillness to stillness, all the way to stillness and chaos and randomness as a progressive training method to get you there. And so you have the perceptual side of it, the tactical side of it. So you have the tactics and the awareness. And what links them together is the breathing by tracking the breath or tracking the heart rate. So like for people out there, the next time you are doing a drill or you're training, see if you can feel your heart rate and keep track of your own heart rate while you're doing it. Oh, wow. See if you can keep track of your breath. When are you holding it? Because when you when you hold it, what's going to happen when I work with police and law enforcement? The first, the reason my success in that realm, we've trained over 200 agencies now, is because solely of, of course, tactics and strategies are sound, but it's the mindset and the awareness of how do we breathe and make ourselves calm in the chaos. That's a different breathing than when I'm kind of being more meditative and slow. But you need that 
also, and you need the chaos also, because you're kind of developing the skill here, and then now you're transferring it in chaos. And then you start to see it everywhere in everything you do. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's fascinating. Um, and, and I think that, you know, back in the day, it wasn't separate. Every warrior understood it. Right. They understood that there's the tactical, the technical, the physical, but then there's the mind, which has no limit. The physical has a limit, but the mind doesn't have a limit more specifically. And I'm not going to get woo woo, but specifically in your ability to process information. So if processing power of my mind is much greater, that means I can process more information in the same second than my opponent. Therefore, I will have the advantage. It's simple. It's just like computers. Why are some computers faster? They're faster because they can process more information and more data in the same moment. And that's what we want to get to. And, and there's a method progressively to do it. And that's what, what I learned in Tai Chi was that method. And then I apply that to everything I'm doing. And, and it, it's, it's just fascinating because now like every sparring session is a session. Every chaos, chaotic session is a session where you're like, wow, I get to go back to that moment when I was attacked and, and feel that same experience. Because now I have that reference point of where to go in meditation, where to go in training, where to go when I'm teaching, also where to go when I'm talking to my kids. Like this morning, I'm driving, I, I, I take my kids for a walk in the morning and uh, they just got this new car. I have two boys, I have a five-year-old yep. and I have a 20-month-old and there's a two-seater, so one's driving and the other's sitting there. And, and there's this moment where I'm watching them and you know, my younger son is getting bigger, he's kind of chunky and my older son is kind of lean. Uh, and, and he's a little taller, but I could see them both. And I'm just looking at the backs of their heads as they're driving that car. And it was like, and it was the most fascinating, wonderful, beautiful moment ever. Because I said, they will never be there again. And I also understand, wow. and I also understand that they're not going to be this age again. And that snapshot of this moment, wow. I love them so much. Oh, look at that moment. Look at that silhouette of their heads. And you can have this every day so that you don't, when they're 18, go back and be like, oh, man, they were so cute when they were this age. I'm sucking all that in right now. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. None of us do. Right. You know, my teacher says, Sonner, to do, he goes, hey, you guys do a to-do list? Like, yeah, look at every yeah, you do to do list, right? So number one thing in your to do list, the number one thing you need to write down is that you're gonna die. You just don't know if it's today, tomorrow, or thirty years from now. But the moment I find when I write that on my to do list, I'm like, yo, I'm gonna live today. I'm gonna hold my child today like it's the last one. I'm gonna look at my wife and give her the biggest hug and kiss ever. I'm going to meet people on the street and smile and greet them with a loving, kind smile. And I'm going to get the most out of life every moment. I'm going to choke the shit out of life every moment. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? That's right. what it teaches. It brings us in. Marcus Aurelius said it the best. He said, momento mori, every man must die. But what he's saying is bring that into every moment. Then all the things you think about that are a problem, all the things that you're attached to, all the things that you think that you're complaining about, condemning and criticizing and all that kind of shit that you get involved in, doesn't matter anymore. What are your upcoming projects kind of as we kind of move and navigate through this kind of pandemic stuff? Obviously, your book and stuff is coming, but are there seminars? If people want to check you out, do you have a website? How's your social media? Yeah, yeah. If you go to at Sifu Singh, S-I-F-U-S-I-N-G-H, you can get, get to me on Instagram. Um, my full name, Harinder Singh Subarwal on Facebook. Um, and I have various projects in the work. So I do a lot of work 
uh, my clients is and now is the thing with all the people I work with that are executives and stuff like that and coaches and uh, managers and stuff like that. It's big time for them. So I'm, I'm constantly working with them one-on-one. Um, Mindboxing. I have a website called mindboxing.com. And over there, if you want to do the, there's a 42 day course on, uh, that you can try that can help you center your mind and get focused. It's follow along. So it's like not the same thing over and over. It's just pop it in and follow along, builds you up into a progression. I, I built that actually for Jack Canfield years ago when I was training his teams. And, um, and then uh, currently I'm working on a project that's called The Masterful Man. And what the masterful man is, you go to themasterfulman.com. It's a it's a graduate program for men who are business owners, executives, high performance individuals that want to achieve more. They're seekers. They're looking for the edge, not only in business and life, and in uh, you know in their relationships and in their health, but truly want to get to the point where they understand why they're here and what the bigger picture is. And so it's not for, you know, it's not a program designed for people who are looking for an introductory program, somebody who's been studying, who's been seeking the way, and they know many things and they're in a great place. And But they know, understand and feel something is missing. Something is not there. And how do we go to the next level? And uh, I kind of help them to do that so that, you know, the, the whole point of that was to build a program for men where we could, develop the killer instinct and a higher consciousness with love and kindness so that men have kind of like a fight club outlet. Right. Yeah. I love it. But at the same time, how do we develop an awareness that's, we always say joyful, open, love, kind awareness so that we can, we can be, you know, who we truly meant to be, you know, the, the whole totality of it all. It, it's pretty much the warrior's way for the modern man, you know, the ancient teachings. And, um, and like I say, or as Mike Tyson always said, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face. Yep. I think everybody needs to get punched in the face. Uh, everyone should be, twice. Yeah. It's the fastest way to self-realization. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you, Harinder, for this. Um, I, I've learned a ton. I've took a ton of notes, and I'm definitely going to be you know, ordering some of your books, too. Wonderful, man. Uh, pleasure to have you. And thank you, listeners, for being in. And uh, I wish you the greatest of successes on this podcast and all your endeavors. And hope you get out there and crush it. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.